0: Kids, you can go back to your classes. Mm-hmm. Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm excited for uh, all that God is doing in our community. And through our family, uh, we have a lot to celebrate today, particularly as, uh, as we're going to be baptizing at least four people today. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and, uh, and, and at the same time, we're, we've, we're going through a series where we're talking about who we are as a family and, and who we are as a church. And so uh, we get to both kind of see it happen in terms of some, some people... Uh, experiencing it with baptism, but also talk about it and hopefully grow as a family as well uh, to, to continue uh, to be who God has called us to be. And so that's, that's what we want to grow to do today as we uh, talk about, this is the, the third week in a series that we're calling We Are Cultivate, where we're talking through some of the foundational uh, core things of who we are as a church and what we believe God has called us to be. Uh, and, and so, I get to, to continue that today, and uh, I'm going to try to do it in, uh, in somewhat of a, a briefer way, and as a challenge for me, so you can pray for me, um, uh, so that we have time to celebrate all, uh, the, the most important thing, which is God raising people from death to life. Amen? Um, and so, so, I'm excited for that. So, uh, if you remember, last week, we, we started uh, talking through our identity in Christ, And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it it mean to have our very core of who we are changed into this new creation that God says we are when He comes into our life and makes us new by the power of Jesus' work on our behalf? And so if you remember last week, what we we began talking about was our family identity. The fact that if we are uh, baptized into the name of the Father then God the Father, who gave up His one and only Son, ransoms or, or adopts in wayward children like us so that we could be dearly loved children. And so that out of that new identity that we've received, we would treat one another, at, and we would love and care for one another as though we were brothers and sisters. And so we talked through, and Matthew helped me uh, with that, talking through what does it look like to, to be that family identity, to grow uh, in terms of who we are. Um, and today we're going to talk about what it means to be baptized into the name of the Son. The fact that if, if Jesus is the Son of God, meaning he's the one that, that God gives the authority to, to, to demonstrate what life looks like when it's lived as best as it possibly can be, what does it mean then to be his disciples? And so uh, in the next week we're going to talk about what it means to be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. The fact that we've been given a new spirit, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if you're in Christ, now lives in you by faith. It's amazing, right? You have a new, a new source, literally a new, a new power source within your heart to help you to live not in a way that's enslaved to sin any longer, but in a way that's enslaved to Jesus himself. That you would live a life that's holy and pleasing unto God and that you would want to use your entire life to tell other people about him. So so we're going to talk about that next week. So where all this comes from is actually in Matthew 28, when Jesus raises, rises from the dead and He goes and He meets His disciples and He's talking with them about what their commission now is, what their whole life is going to be about. And Jesus says this, "...therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you." and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. And so what Jesus is saying is, go and baptize them. Go, go and, and immerse them in a new identity. If you remember last week, I said that um, if, if you had a white cloth and you dipped it into red dye and pulled it out, what color is it now? It's red. It's been baptized red. It's now saturated with a new identity. And you would never look at that cloth again and go, that's a white piece of cloth. You would always, from that day forward, look at that cloth and go, that has a new identity to it. And that's, that's what we celebrate when we celebrate baptism. The fact that the old is gone and the new has come and we are a new creation in Christ. We are now children of God. We are disciples who follow after Jesus and we are now missionaries of the Spirit that's been filled with Him for a new life. That's who we are. Regardless of how we, we, we've lived up until that point, regardless of anything that we've ever done, God gives us a new identity and a new name. And that's good news to us that, that maybe haven't lived life as well as we should have, which includes me, um, that, that God doesn't look at the track record of my life and go, you know what, you're, you're getting close, so I will call you this. You're, you're getting to be a, a, a kind of a good person, therefore I will call you good. No, it never works that way. Never works that way. God declares you something. He says you are this. And then he empowers you to actually live what he's already declared you to be. That's that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, this is this is our new life in Him. So, so how do we learn what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, there, there's a, a, I think a great place to start is is a story about Jesus when he was. Uh, He had a a great crowd of people that started to follow him around. And the reason that they started to follow him around is because they heard that Jesus could give them uh, things like, well, bread and fish and and other good things to eat. And so so Jesus was teaching one day and he he had amassed a large crowd who was listening in on what Jesus had to say. And then they get fed as part of that experience. You remember the disciples, they go and they multiply the fish and the loaves and, and lo and behold, everyone's fed. And then this same group of people, when, when they go to the other side of the lake, they follow Jesus over there. They they, they want the next like the next meal, yeah, the, the the next piece. What Jesus, what are you gonna what kind of magic trick are you gonna produce now? What does it look like now to for you for you to be uh the, you know the, the, the one who gives me what I need? And it's funny because Jesus doesn't actually give them another meal, at least not physically, right? Do you remember what he says? He says, the reason that you've been following after me is because you believe that if, you, if I continue to give you physical bread, you'll continue to be satisfied, but that's not the case. And if you remember, that's when Jesus says, I am, I am, me, physically as a person, I am the bread of life who satisfies you. I'm the one who's come into this world to give you what only I can give you, and if you continue to look to other things to satisfy you, you'll be unsatisfied absolutely every single time. And and we need to understand that what a disciple is is not just somebody that continues to come to Jesus for the things that Jesus can give you. A disciple is someone who comes to Jesus for Jesus Himself. Because we realize that Jesus is absolutely the best thing we could possibly receive from Him. A new life from Him. New relationship with Him. New experience of getting to walk with Him in an eternal kind of way. And and here's the thing. Jesus is this huge crowd of people and He says these words to them and it happens. Most of them leave. Most of them are like, well, I I thought I was going to get another meal. So I'm out of here. And and so Jesus, He turns to His disciples, the ones who have been following Him the longest, and, and this is what He says to them. Do you want to leave too? In other words, are you... Are you going to follow after the crowds and just be interested in, in what you can receive from me when I'm around? Jesus asked the twelve that question. That's the question, right? Will, will we be satisfied with Jesus or will, will we need something else other than Him? And you can tell that Simon Peter, who, who's, he tends to be the mouthpiece of the group, right? The one who blurts out everything first. But here's an actual moment where we get to see that, Jesus, that that Peter is actually being changed. He's growing into somebody that he wasn't when he first started, because this is what Peter says: "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's amazing, right?" That, that Peter would see that in Jesus and recognize that about him. So, so let me just ask, what is it that Peter sees in Jesus? What is it the, that he says is, is now true about who Jesus is that's changing the way that he's understanding his relationship to him? And by the way, you, you get to answer this. So sometimes we dialogue as a, as a family, so you get to respond. What does Peter say about Jesus? He's the Holy One of God, right? Which means that that Jesus is the one that God approves. He is the one who's been set apart to to be a display of the kind of life that God looks for and says, this is what life is about. And what's amazing is you find out about Jesus that it was a life that was used for the sake of other people's good. It was a life that was given away for other people. It was a life of self-denial for the good of others. And God is going, He. this is the Holy One. This is the one that, that God says, here's what life is all about, right? What else does he say? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, sp- and his... And Jesus' words have become elevated in their minds. So it's not just that he had, He's like a good teacher among other good teachers. You're like, well, Jesus is the best teacher around, so we'll follow after Him. No, He has the words of eternal life. There's, there's something about Jesus' words and His teaching that lead us to living the kind of life that God intended. An eternal kind of life that is complete and full and joy-filled. And, all, and they're starting to recognize who, who, else is, who else has those kind of words? We could go to any other teacher. We could pursue any other path. We could find any other teaching in this world. And they will not be words of eternal life. They will not lead us to the kind of life that God intended for us, which is internal quality of life. So when you're a disciple of Jesus, you, over time you begin to grow. There is no other voice in heaven or on earth that leads us to the kind of joy and contentment that Jesus' words do. The kind of rest-filled life that we so desire but are so unattainable for us, especially in America, right? And we seek after teaching after teaching and advice after advice and, and place after place and person after person. We think, this will be the one that does it. It won't. It never is. Because Jesus alone is the one who has the words of eternal life. And, then, and not only that, but, but Peter says, and by the way, you are Lord, right? Where else are we going to go, Lord? Which is a recognition that Jesus actually has authority over Peter. That Jesus is the one now who gets to call the shots for Peter's life. It's not, it's not just about, well, I'll listen to you when I, when I think it's good for me, Jesus. No, if you are really Lord, then you get to overrule my opinion. You get to tell me what life is all about. It's an amazing conclusion to come to about Jesus. And here's the thing. As we are coming to that conclusion about Jesus and what He's like and who He is, it will lead us to the same thing, which is to be a disciple. It's to be a follower. See, a disciple isn't just somebody that listens to another person in order to get good teaching from them. A disciple is someone that listens to a person, watches their life, and then, in turn, emulates their life to be that person. Does that make sense? It's not just about head knowledge. It's about head knowledge that leads to heart transformation, that leads to li- living an actual new life empowered by the one that we've watched and studied. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means that we're increasingly being shaped by Jesus' work and words so that our lives gradually look more and more like Him as He lives His life out through us. And so we we often talk about being disciples. I, I hear that word thrown around so much in the church that we're to be disciples and to make disciples, but oftentimes I think we don't have a really good common definition of what it means to be a disciple. So how in the world do we know if we're getting there? I mean, how do you know if, we're, if, if you're growing as a disciple? You'd want to know if you're growing, right? I mean, in every other area of life, you want to know if you're making progress or not. I mean, how many of you just wouldn't care if you're like, well, I have a bank account, and I just trust that it's growing over time, but I have no idea how to quantify whether or not I'll be able to retire? <laughs> no way, right? Right? You want to know that you're growing to the point where you can rely on what you've been investing in over the course of your life. Do you not? You want to know that it's secure and there for you, and you want to have a common definition of what success looks like in that area. I want to challenge you, church. It's the same thing for being a disciple. If we don't have a good definition of it, we'll never achieve it, nor will we ever help others to get there, which is what we're called to do, right? Right? As a body, that's what Jesus said. Go and make disciples. We've got to know how to do that. So, so a great place to look at that is actually when when Jesus calls his first disciples. And so he he calls people to himself. And if you remember, some of his very first disciples are fishermen. And they're out fishing and they're not having a great time doing it. And uh, they're not being very successful. And so Peter or Jesus gives them some advice on how to do it lo and behold, they get a huge catch, and then they come in and they listen to what Jesus has to say. And this, these are Jesus' first words. He says to them, Matthew 4, verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Or maybe, maybe a better translation would be fishers of people. This is what it means, Jesus saying, to be my disciples. There's three aspects of it. Follow me, which is be near me, be, be close to me, walk along the road of life in such a way that you can listen to what I'm saying and watch what I'm doing. It's an invitation to learn from him. So follow me, and I will make you. That's the second aspect. So Jesus is going to be the one to change them into a new thing. It's not just going to be about their self-effort, but Jesus himself will change them and what is he going to change them into? Disciples or fishers. In other words, they're, they're going to do what they see Jesus doing, which is out there fishing for people, making disciples, inviting people into a new life. And so he, Jesus is laying out the pattern for us to, to know what it means to grow in our identity as a disciple. So here's, here's going to be our common kind of working definition of this. And this is something that we want to be kind of embedded in everybody's understanding of what it means to be a disciple. We're going to put it in three ways, and then they're related to, the, to those three things, follow, make, and, and fish. So increasingly, this is what it means to be a disciple. Is it up there? Yeah. Someone who listens to Jesus, so then invo- where, where do your ears reside? on your head okay so you're 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 listening you're 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 growing you're you're understanding this is what Jesus says this is what he intends I, i'm i'm growing in my understanding of who he is and what he's done so listens to Jesus by the way Jesus says my sheep know my voice and so if if even if you've been a believer for decades but you say you know i have never actually experienced Jesus leading me forward as a shepherd would lead his sheep, actually kind of telling me to, to you know, go here, do this, don't do that, or directing me in some kind of internal sense, Jesus would say, you're, you're probably not my sheep yet, because my sheep know my voice. So we need to, we need to grow in our ability to distinguish Jesus' voice among the other voices. That's step number one. But it doesn't end there. It's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. So we need to believe Jesus. In other words, we need to prioritize His voice above other voices and say, I will put my faith in Jesus' voice rather than the other voices. Um, Jesus prays this to His Father at the end of His life. He says, this is eternal life, that they believe in the One You've sent, which is Him. So it's not just about hearing a bunch of good stuff and not having any change in terms of our hearts or our actions. No, we need to actually believe it with our hearts. We need to come to faith in what He says. And then lastly, it will lead to us obeying Jesus. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll do what? You'll do what I command. So, We, we can't talk about discipleship that doesn't lead to a new life. We can't just say, oh, I, I believe all this stuff about the Gospel and I know all this stuff about Jesus. But when you look at the course of your life, it's not, if it's not experiencing increasing change then the process of discipleship has ended somewhere. It's a little bit like, you know, if I were, Francis Chan uses this great analogy, not mine. It's like, if I told my kids, hey, go, go clean your room, and then my son comes back to me, and I, I look, and his room is a complete mess, and he goes, yeah, I heard what you told me. You said, Dad, clean your room. I know, but I, I meant it. Like, go and clean your room. Oh, no, I, I, I know exactly. I memorized it. I can tell it to you in Greek. you want to hear it? <laughs> Does it make a difference if he knows it, if he's memorized it, if he can say it in multiple languages, if he hasn't actually done what I've asked him to do? No. I would sit him down and say, son, here's what it means to love your dad. Your dad has asked you to clean your room. So can you be a blessing to your dad by actually doing what your dad has asked that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We obey Him, not just listen to Him. So we listen to Jesus, we believe Jesus, and we obey Jesus. And so this is what discipleship looks like. Okay? This is the way that we, we put it here at Cultivate. That we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus who increasingly submit all areas of our life to His empowering presence and who lead others to do the same. If you want to know what it looks like, what, what it means for us to grow in our discipleship, to be disciples who, who lead other people in this process. That's what it means. It's, it's following Jesus in such a way that we would say increasingly in all areas of life, we are growing to listen, believe, and obey Jesus in absolutely everything. And, and here's the mark of maturity, when we're, when we're gaining maturity, we're not just people that can do it for ourselves, but we're people that can lead others to do the same. I mean, a great definition of maturity is being able to feed other people, right? I don't look at my five-year-old son and go, well, he he can manage to get cereal in his own mouth without spilling most of it. He's now mature. (laughs) He must be, right? And yet oftentimes that's the way that we define maturity in the church. They can obviously read their own Bible and pray. They must be mature. No, that's a step along the path of maturity, but it's not maturity. How do I know when my son is mature? What would be a good definition for me as a dad? To know that my son is mature. What's that? (laughs) He pays me rent? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) He obeys me. He's teaching others. So, I mean, use the analogy of food. A good definition in our household of our children being mature is that they have a household of their own and they're sitting down to feed their own kids. Right? I mean, as moms and dads, isn't that what you want as the end goal for your kids? It's not just for them to be mature enough that they you know, don't step on every landmine in life that comes along the path, but that they're actually leading a new generation of people to do the very same thing. They're sitting down with their kids, feeding them meals, teaching them about life in Jesus Christ. That's the definition of maturity is being able to multiply yourself. And that's actually, Jesus builds that definition right into his commission, right? Go and make disciples. And what's the very last commandment that he gave them? Make disciples. So what are they to do? They're to to baptize people in a new identity, teach them how to obey it, and then teach people how to do the very same thing with the next generation that comes along. That's the definition. That's what it means. So, so here's the thing. How possible is it to, to kind of get after that definition of discipleship if the only time that we do it is on Sunday mornings? I mean, we've got 52 of them a year. And we could, we could try to hit a lot of life in those 52 weeks a year. Is that going to do it? is that going to help all of us to grow in the process of listening, believing, and obeying Jesus in everything? No, it won't. It's a step. It's a piece in a bigger puzzle, right? But it's not sufficient in and of itself. See, just like our family identity, we can't be family if we're not living life with one another. It works the same way with this identity. It's an all-of-life process. Therefore, it can't be achieved through Sunday alone. It can't be achieved through teaching alone because we're not just talking about helping one another to become better church attenders. Right? We're not just talking about teaching people to become better Bible studiers or even better prayers. Those things are important It's important for us to gather together as a family and as disciples. It's important for us to grow in our ability to read our Bibles. It's important for us to grow in our ability to pray so that we would know Jesus' voice and submit everything to them. Those things are pieces along a path, but they are not the path and the goal themselves. The goal itself is to be mature. This is the the way that Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.15. He says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is head, that is Christ. See, we're to be mature in every facet of life. All of life. Not just the spiritual things. Not just the Sunday things. Absolutely every area of our life should be under Jesus' empowering presence. He puts it this way in Colossians 1.28. He is the One. Jesus is the One that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone what? fully mature in Christ. In other words that we would grow over time to look more and more like Jesus that when we're presented before him as a church as a body of people we would almost be indistinguishable from Jesus because we've grown to look and sound and act so much like him. Isn't that a, wouldn't that be amazing family? If if our lives just like just dripped of Jesus Christ. I mean if we just emanated that from who we are as a people. That, that when we're around other people that don't even know Him, they would go, man, there is something about those people that just that, that's so different, it's like tangible, but I can't put my finger on it. And we would say, yeah, that's Jesus living His life out in us. It's Him. Working in us to such a degree that we're, we're starting to smell like Him almost. It'd be a beautiful thing. It's what I want for my life. And family, that's, that's, that's what I want for my children. That's what I want for you. I, I, I mean, do you desire that, family? Do you want that for yourself? I, I need to ask you that because Jesus Himself said that is the greatest thing you could possibly achieve in life. Bank accounts, success, status in the world, boatloads of friends, a huge house, a stable career, a 401k, all of those things, they pale in comparison to looking and sounding more like him. There's nothing that even comes close to that family. So let, we got to ask this question. And th- this will be the kind of the, what we spend the rest of our time on. I know this, th- this can be a fuzzy concept, right? Because you... We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about submitting everything to to him. But what are the areas? What are the areas of life that we actually do need to submit to him? That we do need to grow in? that That we should see maturity in? That we should see the evidence of him coming in and changing us? If it's all of life. So let's talk about that. What are some of those areas that we would experience change in? That we would see the tangible evidence of him working his life out in us. Yeah, relationships. Good. What else? Okay, yeah, being servants for others, right? Just as Jesus is a servant to us. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our self-image, right, would be in Christ, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We would value Jesus' esteem over self-esteem. If Jesus says who I am, then then that's what is more valuable. We would teach our kids to be esteemed in the eyes of Jesus rather than to try to have them esteem themselves apart from Jesus. What else finances yeah the way that we use our finances right the way that we're generous with what god has given to us yeah i mean so i mean let's pause on that one a little bit what would it look like to listen listen believe and obey jesus in our in terms of our finances Right, so there would, we, maybe we would grow in our understanding that, that God calls us to be generous in all of life, so we'd understand that from a general practical standpoint, but then specifically when, God, when we feel God calling us to be generous and to give, that we would both listen and believe that it's his voice that wants us to do that. And then we would be obedient with what he tells us to do with our finances now you might think like okay but you know god can't do that it's my bank account See that that goes back to the question of who is lord who has the authority to tell us what our bank account is for it's jesus and if he has the words of eternal life then we would trust that he knows what to do with our bank accounts better than we do and so we would use it for his glory and his sake and we would die to ourselves to use it in generosity for the good of other people rather than just for ourselves. And we would believe that, that in doing so, God Himself would take care of our needs because it's not that He doesn't want to, to, to give us good things. We're His children. He wants to take care of your needs. And yet, He wants you to be generous with what He's given you. At the very same time. And we would grow in our obedience to doing that, Right? if we're a disciple of Jesus. And by the way, we would let other people speak to us about those things if we're a disciple of Jesus. Because if we're so committed to growing as Jesus' disciples, then, then we would even let his family talk to us about even our finances. But finances is one of those things that we don't let anybody talk to us about, right? It's because we believe that we're still Lord over them. We're actually the ones who are God in that area if we can't do that. It's a huge area. I mean, Jesus talked about finances more than any other topic. Why do you think that is? It's because our finances are the way in which we control our world. And as soon as somebody comes in to tell us about our finances that isn't us, we go, wait, 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 wait. You're trying to take control away from me. I can't have that. And Jesus said, here's what it means to be my disciple, that you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. Because anyone who tries to save their life will in the end lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I mean, that would radically change the way that we use our finances, would it not? It would. I saw a couple other hands. Our time. Yeah, don't. Yeah. The way that we use our time for, for ourselves and for other people might change. What does it look like to listen and believe Jesus just in the area of our time? Yeah, yeah. Right, so generous with our finances, maybe generous with our time. There's one of the areas where we talk about being disciples of Jesus, and then when it comes down to using our time for ourselves or for others, we hold back. We know what Jesus says about those areas, right? I mean, if, if we've been a part of his family for long enough, we understand that Jesus is the one who gave us all time. Like, he, he's the one who enables you to breathe right now. He's giving you your breath at this very moment. Every breath that you're taking, he's the one who's giving it to you. And if the one who's giving you each breath knows that you need it, will he not give you enough breath to use your life in a fruitful way for the good of other people with your time? He would, right? We just don't believe him as Lord. We don't put enough stock in what he has to say over our lives. We believe that we're in a better position to make that call than he is. But but we're not, right? That's what it means to grow as a disciple. What were you going to say? Yeah, we, we, have a, we live in a world that's discipling us under a new, another Lord than Jesus, right? I mean, all, all of us in this room and all of us on the planet are disciples. The word disciple just means to be a learner. And all of us are learning from someone or something. We're growing into the image of someone. And the question is, are we growing into the image of Jesus or are we growing into the image of some other Lord that will not satisfy us? That's the question that we have to wrestle with. And we live in, a, in, a, in an environment, in, in, a, a, you know, in a fish tank, if you will, or a greenhouse that, that, is in, that, that, that is trying to lead us to another Lord, that's trying to disciple us in other ways and lead us to different ends. I mean, one of the best examples of that is your workplace. I mean, think, think of being the, the way that we've been discipled to see work And work is is just a, a necessary evil in the world. It's the way that you put in your time in order to get a paycheck at the end so that you could go and have leisure, right? But God actually designed work to be something that gives us pleasure, to be something where we can be fruitful in it, so that we would work as unto the Lord, not as unto ourselves or unto our boss. So imagine what it would be like if you listened, believed, and obeyed Jesus even in the way that you approached your job. You, you'd probably approach it as ministry rather than a headache. You'd believe that Jesus sends you there just as He sends you to all places in life as His representative to be someone who, who loves other people as though Jesus were the one that was going to your job rather than you. And you would start to believe Him, right? That He actually did send you there for that purpose. And you'd start to listen to his voice even above your coworkers' voices and above your boss's voice. And rather than getting value in terms of who you are and your identity from what you're able to accomplish at work or what your boss says about you or doesn't say about you, and striving after his approval, you'd go, you know what? I've got the approval of the King of Heaven. He speaks words of life over me, He's called me His son or His daughter. I don't need the approval of my boss in order to be okay. Therefore, I can use my life at work to work unto the Lord who gives me His approval rather than my boss who may not. A servant of my coworkers, regardless of how they serve me in return. I can choose to abstain from all the gossip and the slander and the things that go on in my workplace and speak words of life and affirmation over people rather than words of death because that's what Jesus does for me. It's so next time I'm around the water cooler, rather than jumping into the conversation that bashes my coworker, I'm going to speak well on their behalf because Jesus goes before the Father, stands before Him, and rather than speaks words of condemnation, He says, don't give them what they deserve. Give them what I have secured for them, which is life. You have an advocate in heaven that's doing that right now for you. And if you believed that, you would go and do the same. You'd be obedient to Him. I mean, all of life, family, submitted under Him. Increasingly so. And leading others to do the same. That's what it means to be a disciple. When's the last time you you considered that for yourself? When's the last time you asked yourself the question, what's an area that Jesus is calling me to be increasingly obedient in? When's the last time you let somebody else speak into that area of your life? That you actually invited someone to give you feedback on that area so that you might grow. When's the last time, family, that you actually took aside a brother or sister and because of your love for them and wanting to see them grow as a disciple, you said, hey, can I, can I just talk to you about something that I'm seeing in your life? See, if, if we're not willing to do that, then what we're saying is, I don't really care about your discipleship. I don't really care about you growing. Family, you need to know that this is who we are. We are Cultivate, and we help one another grow as disciples of Jesus. That's who we are as a family. See, a disciple is, is being devoted to, not just to our development, but the development of one another so that we all might grow into fullness of maturity in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing. I already mentioned this, but I'll say it again just as we close. This can't happen here alone. Might be able to start the process here on Sunday morning, but ultimately what we need more than anything is to be part of a group of people for long enough, who know us well enough as a community, as a family, so that people get enough time to actually see the real you. We're so good at, at manipulating the front that we give off to other people. I mean, the best way possible that we do that is through Facebook, right? Everything is awesome. <laughs> that's, that's Facebook in a song, right? But th- it's not just Facebook. It's, it's so much of life where we, where we try to mask over the things that we actually desperately need to grow in, and we don't reveal those things to other people so that they might help us in them. You need to be part of a family that actually gets to see the real you because that's the only way for those people, for us as a family, to know where you are and where you're not in submission to Jesus and the only way that they're going to help you to grow towards him. See, if we're all committed to being fully submitted to Jesus in all of life because we believe that's the best life possible, then we will be committed to being part of a community that helps us do that and we will be committed to helping others do that. So here, here's the thing. If, if you're not part of... A, 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 the way that we primarily do that is through our Cultivate Communities. If you're not part of one of those, just take this as step number one to get there. If you are part of one of those, then I would love for you to spend some time talking through a few questions. Um, I, I have some suggestions for you. So here, here's what I would, I would challenge you in. Spend some time talking about what areas are we less than mature in our submission to Jesus? What areas do we feel like God has His finger on that we need to grow this year? Is that up there? Yeah. And then secondly, what would it look like for us to actually be fully mature in that area? What would it mean to to listen, believe, and obey Jesus in that area for us? And then lastly, what would need to change? What changes would we have to experience either in our life or maybe even in our community in order to accomplish that together. I want to challenge you with this. I really want you to think through this for yourself. With the Spirit's help, what is just one or two areas that I feel like God has his finger on, even today, that he wants me to grow in this next year as a disciple of Jesus? Because he wants to empower you to do that, family. He wants to empower you to do that. For for me, uh, just I'm gonna be totally honest with you, it's probably in the area of being present. Just being present when I'm with people, particularly with my family. Um, I was talking to Mandy about some frustrating things that were going on yesterday, and Caleb was having a hard time uh, going to using the potty, and uh, and he said, you know, she, we're trying to teach him now not just to sit down, but to stand up when he goes to the bathroom, and 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 Mandy's like. You know, you ha- you got to do it the right way. You have to actually like control yourself when you go, so you don't go everywhere. And uh, it, and uh, and she's trying to like she's trying to reference me to like help him to to, to learn how to do that. And um, and to my to my shame, as a dad, one, what he said immediately was, "Well, Dad holds his phone when he goes to the bathroom." <laughs> Guys. <laughs> now we, we can take that as a joke but one of the things that my son is learning from me is that the phone is more important than he is is that I can get more wrapped up and involved and and oftentimes that has to do with work but sometimes to be honest with you it has to do with what's going on in the present I know I'm not alone in that. I know a lot of us use the phone for that very same reason. We are not present with our family, with our kids, with those that are right in front of us. And I I need to believe that Jesus has sent me to be present in my family. I need to believe that Jesus was present with me, that he, he didn't hold me at bay and look to other things to be better than me. He loved me enough to be present and to meet my very needs. And so he's sending me to do the same thing. If I'm being honest with you in vulnerable family. Just, that's an area that I want to grow in this year. And I'm calling you to, to be serious about the Spirit's leadership and wanting to grow you in similar ways. So what does it mean for you to grow this year? And will you commit to helping one another to do that? We're, we're about to baptize some. That are at the beginning of their journey in this, and they're going to need folks around them that help them to grow. So, one, be serious about it yourself, and two, get serious about helping others because that's what a family does. Pray, and then we're going to move on to worshiping in other ways. Father, thank you that you are committed to us. You're not just committed to saving us. You're not. You're not just committed to um, coming in and 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 bringing us to heaven, but allowing the rest of our life here on earth to look nothing like you. you. You don't desire that for us. And so, God, thank you that you are committed to us to such a degree that you want us to grow in this life. You want us to see change, real, tangible change, here and now in the way that we live today as your disciples. So, Holy Spirit, pray that you come You convict us of of just a few areas that you want to see us change in and that you would lead us to know what it looks like to listen, believe, and obey Jesus above every other voice. God, we commit this time to you in his name, amen.